This is season one, episode one. That's right, the first one of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. Our episode today is why we play RPGs and what value do they bring? Welcome to Mastering the RPG. Like I said, it's a tabletop RPG podcast. We're focusing on maximizing your game. Doesn't matter if you're a player, doesn't matter if you're a game master. Got advice, ideas, cool stuff found, and some strong opinions. But we hope you get something out of it. I'm Carl with my co-hosts, Eric and James, and you'll find all our information at masteringtherpg.com. That's one word. Send us some email, send us some feedback at gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com. That's still one word. So what do you say? Let's get right into it. Hey, guys. Great to see you. How you doing? Yeah, doing good. Uh, this is exciting. <laughs> We've been talking about this for a long time. It's happening. We've actualized it. Uh, our, our quest has been started, I guess. Right, J- uh, James? Would you say it's been started? Absolutely. Carl, the quest giver, has got a big yellow exclamation mark over his head. We're ready to go. <laughs> we're done with the ideation, and we're in the execution. All right. <laughs> so... Today, because it's the first one, I think it'd be great to, you know, go around, introduce ourselves. Obviously, folks listening don't know us. Um, so wh- what are you working on? What are you doing? Maybe your history in gaming. Um, so what do you say, James? Sure. Uh, g'day, everyone. Um, I'm James, uh, DM James at rpgathome.com. Um, I'm a professional dungeon master. Uh, I'm kind of the usual gray-haired weird mustached kind of guy, but you can't see, but you can hear. Um, I've been in role-playing games for decades now. I started when I was a little kid. Um, I'm currently running about 10 games a, a fortnight at the moment, which is kind of very, very exciting. Uh, I started as a little kid um, and I'm just totally passionate about a whole heap of different role-playing games, the whole point of gamification, the whole way that it brings people together. Uh, I play Dungeons and Dragons, I play Call of Cthulhu, I play a little bit of World of Darkness, um, all sorts of different fun things. Um, In terms of current projects, uh, very exciting time at the moment. Uh, I'm running a lot of after-school games for children, which is kind of really fun and really inspiring and uh, and a bit silly and a, I must admit a bit sometimes a bit confronting because you're teaching the next generation of gamers and so it's a very very different world to when I first started um, and yeah having a lot of fun just teaching games running games playing games involved in the whole industry of RPGs and uh, and having an absolute ball with it I'm not nearly that cool. What about you, Eric? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me either. I'm not uh, anywhere near that cool. Uh, what's up? My name is Eric. Um, I would say I came to tabletop gaming later. Um, as a kid, I did a lot of acting, musical theater. Um, I did professional acting, voiceover work as a kid. So I was always doing improv a lot, um, but I never actually played uh, tabletop games. Um, but later in life, I mean, I was always into board games. I had Slaughter's of Catan when I was in high school. So I was a big board gamer, uh, but came to tabletop games a little bit later and then just kind of fully dove in. Um, I'd say I play a lot of D&D. I play a lot of Savage Worlds. I play a lot of Pathfinder. Um, but I've also, I love trying like, you know, smaller games like uh, Apocalypse Engine games. 
uh, just a lot of random little one-shot type things. So I've done done a lot of different games, um, done a couple different streams here and there. Um, yeah, as far as uh, current projects, uh, this. Uh, I also actually, we and Carl do a video uh, form podcast for Savage Worlds. Um, I also like designing stuff. I, I've, I've actually like um, a little bit of guest designing. I've tested for different things. Uh, but I want to get into that more fully. So I think there's a couple things uh, on the fires. Is that the expression? A couple things roasting on uh, the spits. Irons in the fire. Irons in the fire. Yeah. But, you know, a cook analogy is still pretty good. Uh, yeah. That's that. Carl, uh, well, please take it for your end. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm Carl. And uh, as Eric mentioned it, I, uh, I kind of host the Tabletop Tango um, YouTube channel, which is focused on Savage Worlds. I started playing... Uh, way back, Redbox, AD&D first edition, you know, when, you know, when people didn't have skills and you had to describe how you were searching under the bed to find something because there were no passive, <laughs> passive checks back in those days. Um, I, I really have done mostly game mastering in my life. Um, I've done a ton of conventions. I probably, the one claim to fame I have is, uh, I probably did the most popular Dragonlance game, uh, at Gen Con. I had people lined up trying to play Kender, which I guess I should worry about people who want to play Kender, but it was a lot of fun. Um, I I read a lot of uh, games. I really want to play more. I love the Alien um, RPG and things like that, but I don't get to play them. Uh, I mostly Game Master Savage Worlds because it's a great system, and um, obviously the more I know, the better uh, Tabletop Tango will do. Um, so that's kind of me. I, like I said, I'm not nearly as cool as these folks um, doing actual plays and all that great stuff, but I try to hold my own. Um, so that's me. So, hey, uh, that's the cast and crew. Um, you can see more of our bios and see pictures, all that good stuff at masteringtherpg.com. All one word. So we want to do a little bit of a format that includes uh, different kind of short topics as well as a main topic. So today we're going to actually start right into things where we have kind of a side topics. And this is cool stuff we found. And James has got some really interesting thing that I literally had never heard of, to be honest with you, and I probably should have. Um, but James, tell us about this, uh, this thing that you use all the time and really ups your game. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, this is kind of, it's not new news or a new product, but something when we talked about it, I, I can't run a game now without the thing. So uh, we figured it'd be a great opportunity to talk about it. Um, it's a wonderful addition to the way I run and, and, and game master all of my games now. Um, and this is a, a great little subscription product service called Sirenscape. Um, People who have been around for a while might have heard of this before. People that have uh, particularly gone into the virtual dungeon mastering sphere would have known about this as well. But Sirenscape is a is a great little product, and I'm I'm gonna we're gonna hold hold a bit of claim to fame here. It's a bit of an Australian based product. It was developed oh. here in Australia, so uh, <laughs> potentially that that could be why uh, I might have gotten onto it a little bit earlier than others. Uh, but Sirenscape I've been using for around three years now, and what it does, it uh, sets you up with a whole suite of ambient sounds and soundtracks uh, that are directly related to um, 
to the most popular of the the role playing genres. Um, and I got into it many years ago, maybe three years ago. I started lugging around a little Bluetooth speaker um, linked to my phone to conventions where I could just kind of play different scenes. And you know, if you walk into a tavern, he hears the the bard playing in the corner, here's some uh, people uh, arguing over the price of mead, that kind of thing. It gives you the background noise to uh, to any scene that you're doing. But as Sirenscape has evolved and as they've developed more and more partnerships with uh, some of the more headline uh, publishers, what I've found is they have developed an incredible suite of soundtracks that link directly to the most popular published modules. So I run a lot of the... The, uh, the official published material for most of these large-scale games. So uh, Call of Cthulhu, for example, has um, published soundscapes for every chapter of Masks of Nyarlathotep or The Two-Headed Serpent, which are really popular, really epic game scenes uh, that span the world. And so if I'm preparing for a game, particularly a long game, um, it just makes it simple for me to go, oh, the guys are in Kenya this week, they're on the train scene, and I get the suite of soundtracks with a train leaving a station, a train chugging along the African Serengeti, uh, being attacked by fire vampires on the way, uh, you know, screams and, and that kind of stuff. So uh, straight out of the box, very, very, very handy. I find it, it's really good. In, in, in some ways, I look at it as the third actor in, uh, in a scene that I'm preparing or a scene that I'm describing. There's my voice that happens because, of course, you're describing as a, a games master. There's the player's voice in that they'll respond to you. And the soundtrack just allows to fill in some of that gap. Um, often when, you, when you're dungeon mastering, you, you're, you're told to use all of your senses. You're told to use, you know, what, what can characters see? What can they smell? What can they feel? What can they hear? And that element can be taken immediately away um, so that people can share that volume. Um, it, it's got some great features. I'm now currently using their online player, which um, I find really, really handy. So what the online player does, it's a web-based app. So at my end, I can press buttons to play different soundtracks. At the player's end, they have an online receiver. So it's an app that they, that they can either put on their phone or they can put on their, their PC or their, their app or whatever they're, whatever they're using. It allows them to adjust their volume and they connect to your game and so that any sound that I play you guys hear um, and really quite uh, really quite um, easy to use easy to kind of set up and link to each other's games and, and really 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 cool it is a little pricey I'm not gonna lie it's a subscription based service so it does cost 11 bucks a month uh, for the full-fledged I want everything or if you're just running, say, Dungeons and Dragons, you can get all the official content for seven dollars, or Pathfinder seven bucks, uh, Cyberpunk seven bucks, that kind of that kind of vibe. So, um, and you can leave afterwards, but still retain some of the sounds, which I think is really clever. You get kind of ten basic soundtracks when you first when you first uh, kind of come in for free. But what I found is that any soundtrack that you that they release while you're a subscriber, you get to keep after you leave, which is kind of cool. Uh, so I've been I've been around for three years, so I've got this huge <laughs> library now of assets that that you can kind of that I can walk away with. So yes, there's a commitment, but I guess after a while, the commitment I don't know if make, that makes it harder or easier to leave. But um, you can kind of leave and still have access to all the all the uh, all the products that you've um, that you've purchased, which is kind of nice. 
So, That's... so you get free uh, music and sound effect packs when you're a subscriber. They they release, but can you also buy separate packs? Um, you can. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's there's two ways to do it. You can either be a subscriber, like I am, which is yeah. kind of you get everything that comes out each month, or if you choose to, you can just say no. Actually, I just want these. I just would like the the sounds to Lost Minds of Fandelva because that's oh. what I'm running for for my for my players. So I'll just buy that module sound soundtrack, and off we go. And and in some ways, I mean that's ideal. If you're running a module this year. Just say you're running Rhyme of the Frost Maiden and you want every single sound for that module, it's there and ready to go. And and it's so damn easy because I've got to say they set it up exactly if you're using published modules, they set it up exactly like a like the book. So each scene is in the exact same order as the book might oh, be. Oh, make it really easy. Okay, cool. Every combat has its own soundtrack exactly where it should oh. be in the book. Um, okay. They have little one shot buttons that you can press if you if you're a terrible voice actor and you just don't want to do the voices the Wait, common really? responses from the npcs you can press a button and it will say it for you oh which my is, god wow that's it's crazy. extraordinary yeah that's crazy so so really really amazing and so <laughs> and you you'll get all the npcs with a yes no maybe kind of soundtrack going on which is and, really and you cool. don't have to integrate this with your vtt because there's a application and a kind of works on the side of the vtt right you don't have to do a bunch of installations or setup or anything like that right uh that's correct um you can run it independently for your vtt but in my case i actually do integrate it with the vtt so there is also the opportunity um, for roll 20 and fantasy grounds not foundry vtt I, I should i should clarify foundry vtt running their own embedded sound into their scenes but for roll 20 and for fantasy grounds you can actually do something called chat triggers which means that when an action happens on the, the virtual tabletop the sound effects for that action can actually play and so if your wizard casts fireball and when they press that fireball button Sirenscape can trigger the fireball one-shot <laughs> sound, which is fun. I personally experienced that, and it, it is crazy. Like the depth, even weird ones like uh, my character. We we just <laughs> making this joke about whenever Fey magic was done on him, he might throw up when he was teleported, and so we actually made a throw up uh, save basically skill. And for, yeah. I don't know, did you link it or I don't know what happened, but somehow. When I rolled that skill, we got the sound of somebody throwing up, and it was like insane and, at that and, level. And that that has some un, <laughs> unintended consequences because it's it's based on the VTT. Whenever anything appears in the chat, the sound effect for whatever that appears in the chat will will play. So in this instance, if you're if you're rolling a vomit check, then you hear you know someone throwing up in the background. When I play with my kids for after-school games, they've they've figured this out. So they'll type chicken, house, uh, horse, elephant, just to get the soundtracks going as a cacophony, which is a bit fun. But um, so the so you can run it independently for your VTT, or you can turn it on and actually have the VTT do half the work for you, which I think is amazing. Uh, so I I I tend to not be able to use it without it now. Um, I still run it. <laughs> in person with conventions which is always funny because you've got a little bluetooth speaker in this massive packed hall where no one can hear themselves but um but yeah really really interesting all right um, so just real quick one more question are there are there generic packs too like can you just buy generic fantasy generic sci-fi do they have like post-apocalypse they have you know 
uh, yep. modern. Like yeah. they have all different genres and kind yeah, of uh, they they run they run sci sci fi. Uh, they run what they call a a, a board game ambiance, which is kind of more of a soundtrack feel. They run their high fantasy packs uh, that are a, a mixture of the non-official content. I'm um, doing all sorts of things. And and the beauty of it is, is not only do they have their, their sound packs, and this will be my last kind of plug, I guess, you can delve even deeper in this. You can create your own soundtracks as much as you, as you want to. So I've recently played around with uh, Sirenscape and Eric for our one shot. Yeah. They've got a massive library of ambiances, uh, music, one shot elements that you can you can put together into your own soundscape, and you can time it so that on a one button press you can have the dragon roar. Five seconds later, the dragon fire. Fifteen seconds later, a building collapses. Thirty seconds later, you hear screaming and running. That kind of stuff. So you can set up actual sound effects and soundtracks to your game, which is quite extraordinary. Um, so, yeah, look, it's it's a great product. I really love it. Um, they're not paying us, obviously, to plug this one. But uh, I I honestly can't run... I find it really difficult now to run a game with, with the with silence. I find that it's it just helps me with my pacing and all those things. So um, check it and, out. And Sorry licensing for streaming and stuff? Is that just when you get it, you have the license? Yeah, they're really good. Um, they all they're after is acknowledgement. So if you're if you're live streaming a game, uh, everything has got uh, royalty covered, and so uh, all you have to do is just say audio brought to you by Sirenscape, and that you're good to go. So um, so really really good, royalty free. You won't get uh, you won't get demonetized on YouTube. Um, really handy little product. Well, so that I think that falls right into the cool stuff area so you can so everybody listening to this first episode you can see the kinds of things we want to throw out there but let's get into the main topic all right hey so we're going to talk about why we play tabletop games the value they bring and so i let's just start off with um kind of asking why did you get into the hobby you know what what got you excited about um you know playing these games james what how did you oh, get back, there back to me yeah <laughs> uh how did i get into the hobby i have a i've got a a, a a quite elderly gentleman now that i have to thank for this um he was a a friend of the family he was an 80s I won't venture his name so I can say this. He was an 80s stoner science teacher who, um, who when I was a nine-year-old, um, we were uh, having a party at his house and I was being a particularly precocious, annoying child. And he said, look, kid, leave us alone for a while. The parents are busy. I've no idea what they were busy doing. But he said, here, have this purple box and see if you can figure out this game because I can't understand what the hell this is about. And he dropped uh, he dropped Dungeons and Dragons in my lap, um, uh, one of the early box sets. I'd been really into The Hobbit for quite a long time. Um, I'd seen Ralph Bashke's Lord of the Rings uh, a couple of years earlier. I'm not that old. It was kind of in the mid '80s that I saw all this <laughs> stuff. Um, and I, in the middle of a, a party with hundreds of other children running around and dogs and 
and it was there was a pool involved and it was midsummer in Australia I was like nope I'm sitting in a quiet room and I'm reading and uh, there's these dice that you use crayons to 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 get the numbers and oh yeah and I was I was done it was it was all over Red Rover for me um, I fell in love with all of it characters the rules the setting absolutely all of it I mean I was uh, I guess we were lucky a little bit in the 80s in Australia big wide open spaces lots of really natural areas you know um, you know we, we've got national parks everywhere and so the idea of exploring the wilderness and kind of having adventures in the wilds was was really huge for us so um, from then on it was it was exactly like all those terrible tropes of of D and D nerdism that you would you would hear from everyone in the eighties. I try to get every one of my friends to play. I try to get my parents to play. I try to get my siblings to play. Uh, you know, and eventually, as you go through primary school and high school and college, you kind of you you find lifelong friends that roll D twenties and slay goblins and just have a have a have a wonderful life. I I remember my very first character was a wizard with two hit points that got hit by a rock by a goblin in the first round of combat and I died and I loved every second of it. So um, yeah. <laughs> literally um, every I'm an, second I'm an, of it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All 14 <laughs> seconds of it. Um, and, and look, I would say I'm an old school gamer, but I kind of am not like I started in that, in that early time. Um, but I've, I've since abandoned systems and picked up new ones. I did my time, pretending to be a vampire with World of Darkness in the 90s in, in university. Uh, I came back like most people did with 5th edition when we when I had children. Um, you know, I've, I've dabbled with a lot of old systems, but I'm finding that the current iteration of role-playing games and the, the new generation of players have just been absolutely inspirational. It's such a different different thing now. Than when we were, than when I first started, so much more accepting and so more diverse, and just just different voices and different feelings, and yeah, just loving it, really, really loving it. Um, so yeah, that's how I got into it, and and I, I'm what what am I now? I'm thirty seven years strong in role playing games, and I can't see me doing anything different. Really, I'll be doing wow. this virtually on a on a porch at a nursing home when I'm ninety. <laughs> So, so Eric, you said you came into it, um, not, not the same as us, uh, I'll say old timers. Um, yeah, you can say that. And I'll, and I'll say that with a lot of love. Um, so uh, <laughs> what, what got you involved and what drew you into this wonderful, wonderful hobby? Yeah, uh, it's funny because I kind of got myself into it when I actually got into it. Um, and that's to James's point, like, you know, I... I always was adjacent, you know, I grew up reading fantasy novels, I was a big acting, you know, nerd basically, I did a lot of acting, improv games, all that type of stuff, um, and played a lot of, you know, computer role-playing games, and, and online, multiplayer, you know, I was World of Warcraft when it first came out, so I was always kind of adjacent to it, but I never kind of went there, um, and when I just got to a point in my life, like I said, I was very much into board games, uh, so again, like I was in, you know, I would go to board game meetups and, and different things like that. Um, but then just kind of deciding one day to like, I think I actually got, I think it was Shadowrun, uh, third or fourth edition. I like just bought the book and was like, yeah, I'll, I'll try to play a tabletop game and Ooh. teach it to myself. And I, yeah, I almost Whoa. like my eyes bled and <laughs> I picked the worst one. And then this is when, Honestly, when 5e, like I had played a little bit before that, like I played like one 3.5, you know, 
like I said, I played online stuff and, and things like that. But then when the fifth edition came out, I was like, oh, this is easy to get. But I can totally, this is totally easy to understand. Um, mm. And then just dragged myself to game stores and then used meetup.com and, uh, you know, found an, uh, a game with, with another old timer who's just an old time GM uh, in the city in San Francisco um, who was running a game in person. So I started playing in person. I mean, obviously you guys did too, but I'm in this kind of more of the modern era um yeah and then i just kind of snowballed from there um just really you know listening to things uh hearing new well like there's oh there's there isn't just D D. there isn't just these main ones there's all these little ones that people are doing and then you know playing with that and then and then that kind of adjusted into online role playing um which i think we'll talk about a little bit later um but yeah like i i like i said i pretty much got my myself <laughs> into it and it was an outlet of, you know, it's a social activity. It, it kind of triggers all my nerd stuff that I like, um, <laughs> but it also triggers that part of my brain. I mean, to be truly creative like that. And to, and to me, it's, you know, improv, I probably is more accepted in, in, in the larger audience. But like, I think improv and, and, and role playing games is cooler. I mean, it's just it. Like, it's just more interesting. I, I don't know. Uh, it's there's more at stake. I mean, you're dealing with so many more things than just improv. Um, so yeah, okay. for me, that was kind of the, that, that that's, a, that's yeah. a cool, how it all came together myself. I, it's one of my, oh, I don't know. One of my burned in my brain kind of memories. Um, when I first started playing, um, one of my friends had the red box, um, before we realized that, you know, one through third levels, not all that much, but he had the red box and we played once. We didn't know what we were doing, but I got, I said, this is like the coolest thing ever. My mom, my grandmother did not have the money to buy me. So I actually, I drew on a big parchment paper, a dungeon, just like this random dungeon. And then I put numbers in the thing. And then I cut a little hole in a sheet of paper and I slid it around and said, oh, I went in this room. What happened? Oh, I don't have the rule book. Uh, okay, well, maybe maybe one in six chance the thing kills me. or one. In, so I had to invent my own game system just to... Do something, and then I found AD and D and uh, Gary Gygax uh, tome of his tomes, and it was like, oh, this is just too much fun being able to pretend you're something else, and you know, working collaboratively with friends to solve a problem, um, as opposed to you know, obviously in the '80s, video games, most of them were you know head to head, very little co-op, and you're, you're fighting each other. And it was like, oh, it was competition here. It was something that was completely working together. So that just, that just drew me in. And I think back then it was mostly fantasy. Now I don't do so much fantasy. I do mostly modern sci-fi post-apocalypse. It was just kind of funny. I don't do a lot of fantasy, but that was all fantasy back then. So Eric got a little bit into it already. Like why, why you enjoy them. I mentioned a little, enjoy the game. Um, any, anything else kind of that, that grabs you. What you know? Why do you enjoy them? I mean, I know why we got pulled in, but what what are the elements that? And I'm sure the audience who's listening to this say, "Yeah, exactly." But what are the elements that pulled you? Uh, that makes you enjoy RPGs as a, as a medium, you know, as a as a hobby, as a uh, yeah, yeah, Eric. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I think the main thing we could probably all agree on. I mean, it's fun, right? I mean, you you do well, it because yeah. it's fun. If it wasn't so fun, we wouldn't fun. be doing it. So, and but, but that's it's pretty broad when you say that. I mean, uh, it's it, it's kind of 
it's so unique to me, and I think a lot of people don't appreciate this who are on the outside. I feel like it's it's so it it kind of combines so many different things, both sides of your brain, like that nothing else truly does. I mean, you know, I've dabbled with, like I said, I've done a lot of acting. Uh, I've dabbled doing photography and uh, cinematography in college. Um, you know, a lot of these creative things that that do kind of you know use a lot of different uh, skills and, and and things, but but truly nothing is like tabletop gaming. I mean. The, and they're, they're all different, right? There's all different types of systems, but generally you have, you know, like we've talked about improv, this just total uh, world building, story building, collaborative storytelling, all that stuff. Then you also have math and rules and uh, systems, right? And mini systems. And, and then you have the interplay between. So it just, to me, it combines so many different things that, you know, keeps you, keeps my brain sharp. I mean, it's, it's also very social. Like, I think I've, I mean, you know, I've met people from all around the world and um, which is kind of unique, obviously, with the online being a big thing now. It's, it's much easier. I mean, right. I met James. He's all the way in Australia. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's helped me with I do it for a lot of reasons. I think it helps me develop my organizational skills, which it certainly has. I mean, I struggle with um, ADHD. I have ADHD. So it's definitely helped me kind of, you know, work that out and, and when I need to do backstories and I need to take notes, all that stuff. Um, also for me personally, it's not something I always like to talk about, but I do have a disability. Um, I get chronic migraines kind of in clusters. Um, and this happened to me later in life. And so tabletop gaming has really kind of been there for me that I can still have, you know, these social gatherings. I can still be part of something, um, and, and be somewhat have a commitment there. And it, you know, I can show up where, a lot of other things I can't always show up because I have this kind of this, something that sometimes I have this disabilitating condition. So um, it's kind of helped me keep sane, honestly, uh, <laughs> uh, during these kind of hard times. And, Abatable. you know, we all have had these hard times. Abatable. With, yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, I have my own crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm certainly crazy, but sane where I'm not just, you know, getting so sad and depressed. Um, and the Play pandemic, more Call right, of Cthulhu. All, <laughs> yeah, I, hey, I, I'm there, man. I, I can understand existential dread pretty well. Uh, and, you know, the pandemic, I think, showed a lot of people. And I think a lot of people have come to gaming through the pandemic just because of that. Yes. Because it was something that, Absolutely. Could, you know, with the online gaming and all that technology that's there now, it just makes it so easy. And, and people always want connection. And so, yeah. you know, this is such a good way to connect. And, and I think we'll talk about this. Yeah, I'll save the rest for... So that's that's my personal uh, stuff. <laughs> Given a little little taste or something else coming after I this was, section. I yeah, was yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Ooh, yeah. Um, How about you, Carl? Well, for me, uh, I'm a speculative speculative fiction kind of person in the sense of that's what I think about. I mean, I literally will walk around and come up with a concept and, and Eric loves the fact that I'm all about nano machines and things, but I, I <laughs> like, like, like there's a concept um, that people talk about the digital dark age. And so I literally sat around thinking, well, what would happen if that actually occurred? And that digital dark age is when, you know, all this technology we have and all this data we have stored in computers, if it all goes away, it's all gone. I mean, there's no papyrus stuck in a jar that we're going to find in a thousand years because all this data is, is ephemeral. And I thought, well, what happens? And what would you know, society look like? And then I built the campaign around that because I could tell this story without actually having to write a book. 
and I can have players yes. who help tell the story at the same time in a fashion where they drive things in a directions. And that's the whole thing about that idea is, oh, I can explore something completely different because they drove me in a way of thinking that, you know, I'm never going to write a book, but I, I try to think about that sort of thing. And so I, I think that collaborative storytelling, you know, being able to write a story without having to write the story, <laughs> just being able to start with an idea and yeah. build upon it slowly and see where it goes is just um, absolutely really cool. And then, of course, there's that visceral feeling of rolling a die and, you know, looking to see if I'm going to get that 15, you know, 14, I fail, 15, I succeed. Come on, get, you know, what are you going to, there's just <laughs> something about that, um, which I think is why the game is, you know, gaming for adults is so popular because it gets beyond the, you know, it's just purely imagination. There's actually a, a piece of it that's sort of grounded yeah. in mechanics and systems. And consequence. And yeah. consequences. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, stakes, I think, right? It's one of the few things that we can really have stakes um, while not actually risking our lives. Yeah. yeah. Or our children's welfare. That's right. Yeah, Mama welfare. needs new shoes is not, is not an actual thing. <laughs> at all. Like Decisions that. have consequences, but the consequences aren't nearly as bad as what they could be in real life. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's right. Absolutely. So James, come on, you know, you, uh, what's got you going? Very similar. A, a combination of both. I think um, I, uh, I'm a, a, a writer as well. Uh, I, I loved writing stories in my in my high school and primary school um, days, and so I find role playing games is it flexes that muscle so much. Um, but you get to do it multiple times a day if you want to, if you're silly enough like me that role plays about five hours a day. Um, but <laughs> you get to create these stories um, and this ephemera um, out of nothing. Uh, and they can be an engaging and cinematic and epic and 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 huge in scale. Uh, you can switch genres really easy. I I'm a sucker for you know my Call of Cthulhu, my 1920s horror that I I absolutely adore. And what's funny is I majored I I, I majored in script writing um, for television and radio when I was in college, and ironically, um, after my first kind of year of doing okay. The next year, I started to actually write scripts based on plots that I'd written for role-playing games. So I had a, I had a, a radio play set in Arkham uh, that was very Lovecraftian, <laughs> and I had a, a television series based on vampires that was very much based oh on World of Darkness. Never went down the, the the Dungeons and Dragons movie route, and neither should anyone. If I could just, that <laughs> they're never um, any good. But, <laughs> they're never any good. But um, but what I found was is my stories that I was creating with my friends for these RPGs were getting me distinctions at university, and and it just goes to prove that this kind of flexible story story writing where there is an element of chaos inserted because of the dice rolling yeah because you're handing the story over to collaborative storytelling immediately um i and i've i've fallen in love with it ever since uh the creative energy that you have of the daydreaming about what's going to happen this week in all your games i think is it's just great it's just such a i don't there's nothing like it maybe creating music maybe thinking about you know passages and lyrics and things like that 
But um, in terms of the immediacy, the creativity, and the inclusivity of, of doing it with other people, is just it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And it's bloody funny. I don't know about you guys, but oh, yeah. I have not had a role-playing game ever, I don't think, where, where you, you know, it's so much laughter, even the really serious ones. Yeah. There is a level of absurdity that happens when you bring people together that are having fun and you roll a dice with chaos to see what happens that just comes up with absurd situations that you could never, if you, if you were to write it, you would never write it. And that's what I love about it. It's really, really amazing. And that's a, good, that's that, a good point to make. You know, you, you can't write this stuff. Right. It just it happens when you get, you know, six brains together doing crazy stuff. Um, magic happens. And so we yeah. have a writer, we have an actor and then I'm just an engineer. So I'm not sure engineer musician. So <laughs> well, I'm not sure how I, how I work right. in this all. But OK, <laughs> go ahead. I, I, well, no, I was, that was yeah, a really good point. I think this goes into our next um, kind of topic, too, is is like, James, like you were saying that you're a writer. And one of the things that it's, it's beneficial for writers, I would think, is because it gets you out of your own head. And there's things that, you know, there's different point of views that you could maybe never kind of go to. Uh, you literally have somebody there, you know, where you would write a character this way. They take the character in a totally different direction because they have a different perspective and point of view and background just personally. Right. So um, you know, get, getting yep. inspiration from that for whatever you do in your life, especially if you're a creative, I think that's huge. Um yeah, I think this is leading into our next topic, Carl. So. Well, no, that's fine. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's fine. We're uh, you know and and, and and really collaborative. You know, I yeah. uh, just yesterday I had a little, uh, just a tiny little exchange with a, a player who hasn't been very experienced. He's in his mid forties. We're just encouraging him out to role play, and you know, instead of here's your character, here's some things, just posing a few questions about backstory. And suddenly really energetic and really creative responses coming back that I would never have written for this character ever yeah. in a million years. They're bringing an entirely different thing to it, which means the story changes dramatically. Um, in this instance, the, his character witnessed a murder um, and, and was worried he was being framed of, of murdering his partner. And then so he's on the run. But then, then I said, well, is it the mob that you were once with? And he goes, no, no, I still want to be with the mob. Like, but I'm on the run, so someone else. And so this yeah. just a very, just twisted and changed the backstory for me immediately. And the whole way we're writing this is different. Instead of being on the run from the mob, we are now still in the mob on the run, which is a very different game that I'd even thought of, of playing or writing. So, yeah, such, so good, so collaborative, so wonderful. Yeah, that, that's that's awesome. And I think um, that does, like Eric says, rolls into we've been very kind of, um, you know, uh, talking about our own experiences. Um, mm -hmm. But the but I think one of the big things with RPGs is what it does for people. Right. And we were talking flexing our creative muscle. Yeah. But it, it, and I think, you know, James, you have uh, you work a lot with um, kids in gaming. And mm -hmm. it, so let's talk a little bit about that. What what does RPGs what does it do? for, for, you know, for people, right? I mean, it, it's not just a game. It's, it's more, I think, um, for sure. Um, so, so what do you guys think? I, I'll, I'll share a little interesting story myself. I wrote, um, I wrote TSR in 1985, oh, during the satanic panic. And I wrote them a letter and I said, Ugh. could you please send me some material that would, you know, I could 
tell mothers who are against gaming or, or whatever. And I, <laughs> oh, and, God. and they sent me a packet. They literally sent me photocopied articles. And, and I think the reason it's important in this regard is it was a stack. I mean, you know, there's probably 20 articles in there all talking about the benefits of the game. Um, even there was an article by Dr. Joyce Brothers, for those who remember back oh, how yep. big she was, um, talking about the benefits to people who are, you know, not open, um, they're able to communicate better. So there was a lot of benefits even back in 1980s when people thought the game was was evil that folks had already saw the benefits. Um, so, so you know, what do you guys... Uh, you know, kind of what are your thoughts on, on that? Right. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I think a lot more research. I mean, we don't have all the data here, so I'm kind of talking, you know, um, things I've seen. I have some links to articles, but um, I think there's been a lot of kind of now research going into just even, you know, first it was kind of board games and now tabletop games, especially. I mean, James, you'll have a lot of experience with children. Um but people with all sorts of, um, con you know, either conditions like mine or um, uh, people like autism. I think there's been a lot of articles now talking about autism or people who have other communication issues, you know, learning, exploring. Um, I've seen a lot of things with, um, you know, people who are exploring their identity, especially younger people. It's a kind of can be a very safe place to do that because you're taking on these other roles and you can, you know, really live out a character that you can't do anywhere else, right? You can't do this anywhere else, that you can really truly live out how somebody else is, right? You take on different character and they can be, you know, mm. besides just being a fantasy creature, just any any sex, any gender, all of that type of thing. So um, uh, I, I think it's, it's so unique in that um, really anybody can benefit from kind of exploring a, a different character and... Um, uh, what that means and, and kind of being in that safe space. Um, that, that's a good point. Yeah, I, it's, it's, you know, you're yeah. with, you're, you're gaming with, um, I, I don't know if I call it friends, but you're gaming with people who have a similar thought process. And so it is yeah. a safe place. You can be somebody you're not, you can be goofy, like mentioned and like no judgments. Right. I mean, we're all mm -hmm. pretending to be something else. So yeah, no judgments. Uh, I think that, and even um, in conventions, I do a lot of convention work and play games. These people don't even know each other, but they're they're all coming yes. in with the same mindset, and we're all doing the same thing. And it's, I have yet in all the games I've run ever have somebody come away, you know, feeling like somebody came down on them or or you know the, things just weren't right. Usually it's a very positive experience, but, you know, obviously there's, there's always that opportunity and that's where we have things like safety protocols, that kind of stuff. But, yeah. um, generally that's never happened. I mean, it, it's just people recognize that it's like, it's our tribe, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I mean, there, there, there certainly is, you know, not it's, it's people, right? So there's certainly a bad apples. There's certainly kind of toxic games or, or toxic GMs or toxic players. I mean, that, there's certainly something that exists, right? Because the people are people. But I think right. generally, sure. you know, gamers are going to be more open and more inclusive and all that stuff. Um, and I think a lot of times, you know, now people, especially that there's a lot of younger people coming in to the hobby, uh, you know, especially the last couple of years. Oh, my God. Um, that you have yeah. those things like, you know, here are the guidelines. We're not doing this. Uh, you have to be OK with these type of things. Um, you know, prone out like like people are very upfront with. 
these are what we, people feel comfortable with. I want you to be open with me about what you're comfortable with. Um, well, and, and we're just seeing that a lot more and more, which well, is that's certainly we talk like, about, it's good, right? We talk about yeah. lines and veils now. We talk about X cards. We talk about things that maybe yeah. we didn't talk about in way back when, in the early days. But I think that goes back to the game tries to be inclusive, um, yes. much more so than, you know, obviously it used to be nerds in the basement, yeah. much more inclusive. And people are coming up with tools and ways of making that more systematic. You know, people can talk about, here's my lines. We're not going to cross them. Here's my veils. Here's where I want us to fade to black. It's, 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 it's just, it's building on that momentum, I think. Yeah. And it's creating the structures for, for shared experience as well. You know, in the, in the past, Dungeons and Dragons might've been, I'll, I'll talk D&D specifically, but you know, you, it, it was almost like a ranked system. What level are you? There's a, there's a kind of, I'm more experienced than you as a player because my character is X level. And, and that's the commonality of language. The latest generation where the commonality of language is very, very different. It's about, it's about characterization and it's about consent and it's about joint storytelling. And so I, I find that the transition is very, very different, but um, each, the, the game is evolving different systems to, to, to deal with each other socially, which I think is really important and really, really amazing. One thing I've noticed uh, in the very much since the pandemic is a, is a, is a massive shift uh, in terms of uh, people getting involved in, in role-playing games. And I know that there was a huge surge just prior. Um, you know, we, we all know about the rise of, of, of fifth edition, but um, one of the, the, the real benefits I've seen since the pandemic hit is the, the urge to reconnect and the urge to connect in a social aspect that isn't just about, you know, kind of these lame Zoom catch-up, let's drink margaritas together on a Zoom call or let's do a quiz. This is a, a concerted effort to connect and with a, with a goal in mind, and it's, a, it's more of a, a distraction. But it's, it's better than just online gaming. But you, you are allowed you to have, have a margarita while you're gaming. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's, that's still <laughs> allowed. You, know, you can do that. <laughs> um, and one of the things that I've, that I've noticed a lot in the last couple of years is about people reconnecting with old friends as well. Um, these, these might be people that you haven't connected with in quite a while, um, and they're using gaming as a way to reconnect, um, yeah. uh, which, which I think is really, really lovely. Um, I've, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the, um, in the very lucky position to be doing this kind of as a career, and so I get to see groups of friends that might not have seen each other or hung out together for years, um, or groups of friends that have been separated by distance and then were separated by lockdown. Uh, that now use role-playing games, particularly online role-playing games, for their kind of weekly or fortnightly catch-up, where they might have once gone down to the, the local bar or they might have once met up at the local football game. Now they're doing it um, over a margarita or a whiskey playing playing Dungeons & Dragons of a, on, a, on a weeknight. It's been, it's been quite, quite extraordinary. I think, I mean, the benefits of role-playing games and the benefits of games are pretty well, well uh, you know, kind of it's a, a big scholarly subject. Yeah. Um, I know in Australia we've got some really great people working in the space. There's a, a wonderful company called the Amblin Studios that are looking at role-playing games for the corporate sector. Um, and some of the larger corporate players in Australia are, are, are now taking it on as a way to, to, to um, add elements to leadership and team building. But even more than that, more, more about um, 
uh, problem solving and how to how to you know look at look at issues outside the box and from different perspectives because uh, this idea of, of an empathetic experience where you're literally walking in someone else's shoes and being able to to you know kind of see things from different perspectives is a, a really really important thing it's really 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 amazing um, yeah and I, I've heard a lot of people in Hollywood like you were talking about being a writer um, I, I mean I, I have a very short list here but there's certainly a lot of you know, you'll hear randomly about this actor or this writer or this director mm. who will credit like playing D and D for kind of setting them on this path and you know ex uh, exposing them to these things. So um, yeah, I think just if you are you know even if I mean I, I imagine anybody who's listening to this plays tabletop games, <laughs> but if you aren't, I mean I don't know how much more we have to convince you, but uh, <laughs> you know any type of creative really can benefit. Um, and I think the one thing I would say two tabletop gamers like if you only play one type of game i still think it is like if you only play a DD, i really think it's worth it to go kind of check out some of the other you know systems do a one shot and some of the more narrative systems and because you know while they all have similarities they are somewhat defined by their mechanics and there's things that you do that challenge you in different ways um that one system allows that then there's just another system might not allow like the first time that i played monster hearts which is a um, Apocalypse Engine game, which is kind of like a high school, college, you know, uh, teen angsty uh, supernatural romance. Um, it's LGBTQ kind of focus. Not not like it's you have to be that type of character, but it's uh, the writer. You know, it, it's open and explores that. And to me, it was very you know that is so just narrative, and there's not really much dice rolling. And the main kind of currency in the game is your social connections with other players that you can take advantage of. And so it kind of pushed me in ways that I never really experienced playing D&D. &D. Um, so I definitely think, you know, the benefits of playing games like we talked about is, you know, pretty apparent at this point, but I think it's still worth exploring other systems to, and you'll get more out of it, I think too. So that's just something a little tidbit I'm throwing in. And maybe, and maybe someday we, we can brainstorm about how we can get people who are just only D and D players to try other systems. <laughs> that's that's uh, a good, that's a hard nut. That's no, a hard no, nut no. to crack. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It's yeah. It's um, I I resisted it for a long time going back to Dungeons and Dragons, but I, I've got to say, um, for kids particularly, I mean, for me the the kids got when I had children and, and wanted to pass on this hobby. D and D was the accessible one. I mean, I'm not going to yeah. rip their faces off with uh, eldritch horrors with Call of Cthulhu and and some of the darker themes for the Morkborgs or the World of Darkness stuff is a bit bit more hard. But um, uh, I, I did want to touch on a little bit about uh, about uh, young people and how they're embracing D and D and and the differences that I've observed, I guess, um, and particularly in role playing games. And and it is a different world out there for old guys like me I guess from um, from the experiences of, of when we were playing um, you know the, the, there is still that desire of, of, of kids that really want to get an understanding of the rules and how it all works but the elements of characterization and the elements of motivation and empathy and story are so much richer and so so incredible and um, and particularly over the last few years where a lot of kids were in lockdown, a lot of kids were unable to interact with their peers, unable to kind of catch up and, and, and meet up with other children. Um, being able to make friendships and to engage with other children in a social sense um, has been really uh, quite incredible. I get so much feedback from parents saying, 
uh, you know, because of D&D, because of role-playing games, these kids have been able to maintain social skills that probably wouldn't would have dwindled on the vine a little bit. Um, you know, lots of lots of kids that were really isolated and really doing it tough and were able to engage, talk, laugh, have fun for a few hours a, a week playing playing role-playing games. And uh, uh, and while all the kids were online and they're all playing Fortnite and they're all doing, you know, all the other, you know, what do they call it, Minecraft and, and these kinds of stuff, it was the RPGs that kind of kept them kept them sane so it's um mm. yeah the mental health resilience of this stuff over the last few years really really important too i don't think now, we can underestimate it now i know you do, you might not have the biggest you know view into it but you have some but like what do you i mean nerd culture obviously has been embraced generally but there's still you know nerd being a nerd or a dork or whatever can still be a little stigmatized uh, what have you seen with the kids now? Like, are they're just coming, kind of come from all backgrounds, or not necessarily just the nerds? Or is like D and D the only thing they're into? Or like, is there that same uh, stigma now in like elementary school and high school that kind of thing? Or is it I, I can only gone? speak to Australia, but I'm not yeah, finding okay. that at all. At all, um, yeah. I'm finding that kids are coming from every background, uh, uh, and these are younger kids that couldn't have gotten into it from. Stranger Things or Critical Role, all those things, right? Oh. So, so this is not a generation. This is the, the just I'm I'm kids are joining my game a bit younger than that, and so they're coming to it from uh, movies. They're coming to it from anime. They're coming they're coming to it from their parents because their parents are saying, "Oh, I used to play that as a kid. You should give it a go." Um, so it's that next generation, that 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 second generation of players that are coming through, um, and they're it's not at all you know so diverse i have more girls that play the boys which is a, a mind blown really, for me as an yeah. old guy that that um <laughs> you know hid from girls in and in the lunchroom and play D. um you know more girls than boys the diversity is extraordinary and as these kids are getting older and they're and they're exploring their characters the pronouns the the identification the 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 non-gendering of 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 their characters is also really really extraordinary um you know these guys are, are they're telling stories of their own generation and it's very different to ours. And it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. It's inclusive and funny and nuanced and and with an emotional uh, complexity that I don't think I, I didn't have when I was 13, you know, at all. It was like I, I hit the goblin and steal his money. That was it. There was no kind of <laughs> other level of complexity. Kill things so, and steal their stuff. It's yeah. really amazing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> all right, well, that's... that's um... That's fantastic. Uh, you know, I don't have that opportunity. I know my kids growing up very much, you know, dad was the geek gamer guy. And so they just picked it up from that. It's, it's nice to see that um, as a cultural phenomenon, it's, it's just another pastime, right? It's just another interesting pastime that's got yeah. some huge benefits that we think and gives you, let's just start. But it, it's, a, it's now it's not a thing nerds do. It's, it's just a pastime. It's things you do if you think it's fun. Right. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So does anybody have any, uh, you know, kind of final thoughts? What would you like people to take away from this, this final, uh, this first episode? Play more games. No, no, just, just, um, look, Brilliant. Uh, you know, we're, we're, wax, we're waxing lyrical here, but, um, yeah. and, and I guess in future, in future episodes, we're going to be talking a little bit more about, uh, how we come to it, how we might improve our games, how you know, so a bit of more of the mechanical things. Uh, in some ways, this is a bit of an introduction to our ethos and how we're thinking about things, anyway. But um, 
but in my mind it's it's about it's about playing more enjoying it more and then being okay playing it you know it's it's kind of one of those things that this should not be a guilty pleasure anymore it might have been for some of us when we were growing up sorry i'm having a a reflux moment, but um, uh, <laughs> uh, it might have been for. I thought you were just getting elderly, choked up. I thought you were just getting choked an, up. An elderly, yeah, yeah, it's very emotional. Yeah, at my age, it's hard to tell the difference. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, it's really it's about um, it's about the love of what we do in a lot of ways, and um, you know, well, I think all three of us are really passionate about it. I can't wait to kind of talk a bit more in the future about about what what makes it all tick. I think that's a great way to put a put an exclamation point period on on the discussion. We will talk so much more about upping your game. That's the whole point is to make it better. Um, so, hey, thanks everyone uh, for tuning in. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, keep watching, uh, watching. <laughs> Tabletop Tango is a YouTube channel. I gotta get used to it. Keep, keep listening and uh, remember to drop uh, drop by. Uh, masteringtherpg.com, all one word, to uh, learn about the other projects we're working on, contact us, uh, send us some notes, that sort of thing. Um, and we want questions too, right, Carl? We want, we want to hear uh, questions about the game. We want, to, we want to resolve things. If you have any questions about, or, you know, you th sorry, I might be cutting ahead here, but um, judgments that you want, we, we want to hear input about everything. Yeah. And, and, what, and where would they send that input, Eric? Where might that be? Uh, it's masteringtherpg.com, the game master right. at and, the and you can email okay. it, game master at masteringtherpg.com. Game master is one word. Mastering the RPG is one word. It's all one word. It's all yeah. one word. Um, so, hey, thanks, everybody. Um, we're early, so I'm not going to ask you to give us a good review yet. Um, give us five stars when you listen to the second episode and you love it, because um, then it's, it's not just one, it's a trend. And uh, so hopefully uh, you tune in next time. Uh, we'll see you then. And just wishing you a great games and that the dice always roll your way.